Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. All right, y'all, welcome back. Sports Talk Saturday, Hour 3, kicking off with a bang with my man. Well, before before I actually introduce our next guest, what I should make sure I do is to let everyone know that you can, of course, listen live on the app or listen on WGR550.com or on the radio. And if you missed any of our show today, WGR550.com, on-demand audio. You won't want to miss this next guest, though. Jeff Lloyd of Locked On Bills joining me. I'm Locked On Bills. Locked On Browns uh, joins me on the West Her Hotline. And Jeff, um, first of all, it's a pleasure to talk to you again, my friend. It's been a while. Hopefully uh, your summer is going swimmingly. I know you're looking forward to football season. How's things, my friend? Oh, we're good here. Uh, here in New Jersey, obviously, we're getting down to the last two, two, three days of school, um, trying to drag some teenagers across that <laughs> finish line. Um, and then we get to, you know, for us, what is, you know, I mean, everybody, you know, they look to, what, two to three months of summer. Uh, for most of us, we've got about till late July. So we got about a six month, I mean, a six week window yep. here. Um, you know, obviously, you know, Cleveland Brown wise, uh, you know, a lot of shoes to drop me basically here over the next few weeks before we can shape where this team is officially going to be going into the start of the 22 season. Yeah, Jeff, it feels like there's two silos here. Well, actually, let's say there's three silos, right? Like, there's the <laughs> silo of, well, Deshaun Watson doesn't get any sort of suspension or he gets suspended, he appeals it, and he wins his appeal, and he plays in all 17 games. Or, you know, Deshaun Watson gets some level of a midterm suspension. Maybe it's six games, eight games, 12 games. He misses portion, half of, little more than half of the season, and Jacoby Brissett's playing in those games. Or he gets suspended the entire season in, he does not play in 2022, and Jacoby Brissett is this team's starting quarterback for 17 games. I don't know which of those scenarios you want to bite off first, but I'm interested in kind of your take on what all three of those situations look like. Um, well, I, the universal feel, and there's you know obviously no way around it, is that there's going to be some time missed for Deshaun Watson. The question is, is going to come down to you know how many games. I think with some of you know the statements being made as far as the league is concerned, they would like a year the NFL Players Association saying, well, can we look at Dan Snyder and his example here in the Washington now commanders mm. as far as, you know, what's going on there? Because, you know, they're curious as to what the suspension were, you know, do, you know, for your, you know, similar actions, I would say, towards sure. women. So, you know, there is that. I think, I think this is all going to be some sort of posturing type of thing where it's going to come down to where I think there's going to be an ex- you know, a suspension that the Players Association is looking for, and I think there is one where the league is probably understanding it maybe won't be a whole year, maybe that six to eight game range. I think the way they want this to work is for a suspension to come out, essentially where both parties are going to agree to it. 
so it will not get to the point where it's played out in court. You know, the league already understands they're taking a black eye in this scenario. Right. Not that they essentially care. Um, the NFL is not above taking a black eye or two. Um, but I think they would just like this to be done, a suspension given out. And, you know, I think the uh, as far as it being a front-burner talking topic of the NFL, it will slowly dissipate from there once we finally understand what the discipline will be for Deshaun Watson. And do you suspect, Jeff, that, you know, whatever that discipline is, that that there was a level of, I don't know, I, I guess it's hard to predict what was going to come of this whole situation, but when the Browns decided to make this move, the Browns weren't the only team in on Deshaun Watson. So I imagine that if you are Atlanta, you're Carolina, um, you know, you're some of these teams that were talked about being in on Deshaun Watson when the move was ultimately made and his decision was made to go to Cleveland, like there was an understanding that he was going to miss some football games here. And with that said, that's why they go out, they go and get a Jacoby Brissett. What do you I guess expect from uh, Jacoby Brissett because I think all of those teams Carolina, Atlanta, they all sort of had a contingency plan in place Mariota happened to be the one in Atlanta they go out and drafts um, Riddler in the the draft not getting Deshaun Watson you obviously have Carolina, they go out, they draft Matt Corral, but they could also be in line for trading for Baker Mayfield, which we'll get to that in a little while here as as I have you on talking about the Browns, but uh, ultimately Jeff, like, what are you expecting from Jacoby Brissett, a player that um, you know, has had opportunities in the league to maybe take a starting role. I'm thinking about Indianapolis in this, um, but never really struck that chord and, and has looked like a guy that can play long-term football. But this is probably his best overall situation he's been in as a pro. There's no question about it. This is going to be the best offensive line he's ever played with. This will be the best group of running backs he's ever you know, been the quarterback of the team for. So you think, you know, look, uh, opportunity there for heavy run games, so hopefully some easy play-action throws for Jacoby Brissett. You know, there was a time with Indianapolis, there was a stretch of 18 touchdowns and six in- in- interceptions. The Browns, it doesn't matter what the name of the quarterback would be. If they could get that type of player at the quarterback position, last year probably would have won the AFC North if they could have gotten that type of play out of their quarterback position. Um, so it's certainly going to trim back what this offense ultimately wants to do. A uh, huge drop-up, of course, from the talents of Deshaun Watson on the field and Jacoby Brissett. But the Browns are very deep. At the running back position, you have Nick Chubb. You have Kareem Hunt. And that is one thing that is certainly not spoken about enough last year. All that went wrong with Cleveland. Kareem Hunt mm. missed nine games. And his role as a dual player as, at the running back position, as a receiver, as a runner, was something that was sorely, sorely missed for a team that was obviously lacking in offensive playmakers last year. So that is something that behooves them. They got a lot out of Dearness Johnson last year, over 500 yards on the ground, five yards per carry. That should be something that should be able to work this year. So if they want to go run heavy, they have that. This defense really played well going down the stretch last year. Eight games last year, giving up 16 points or less. This defense should probably be, if not you know, just as good, if not probably better, going into it this year where you have players like Grant Delp, but this will be his mm. second year on the field. Greg Newsom, year two. Jeremiah Usukoromoa, year two. I still think this team, maybe the goals shouldn't be set as high for the success of this team with Jacoby Brissett at the quarterback, but you have a f- very easy four-game stretch to begin the season. So you think with Brissett, if you can run the ball, you keep the mistakes limited, the defense should do what it does. This team should still be successful. And when ultimately you get Deshaun Watson back, you shouldn't be that far away from hopefully contending either A from the A, well, a for the AFC North or B finding a way to get yourself in a wild card. He's not going to have to do a lot 
with the way this team is constructed, there's going to be certain games, obviously playing the Bills, playing the Chargers, where maybe Jacoby Brissett can't get into a game where, you know, he can score in the 30s against these other teams and their quarterbacks. That's why for the Browns, they're hoping this game, the suspension for Watson is a manageable six to eight game number where it still gives them plenty of time to get Watson back in into the fold and you know maybe get some W's down the stretch that you certainly probably wouldn't get with Jacoby Brissett at the helm. He's the host of the Lockdown Browns podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd with two L's. And he's on the Western Hotline talking to us about some Browns football here and, and getting into the season and, and talking about you know what the quarterback situation looks like if Deshaun Watson is suspended for any extended period of time, which the expectation now across league circles appears to be that the league is going to be looking for at least a year-long suspension. And, and thinking about that offense last year and, and how, it, how it evolves this year, but with the same play caller and Kevin Stefanski, I, I'm wondering, you know, a lot of the conversation has been around the number two receiver. Obviously, you guys, they, you go out this offseason, you go get Amari Cooper. And one in terms of value trades, hard to find a better, you know, what is it, a seventh-round pick they ultimately trade. Now, they take on his, his salary, which is, you know, not nothing. Um, but that really was a salary cap casualty of the Dallas Cowboys. But you get a true number one receiver in Amari Cooper – and that's not really the guy, though, that I'm most interested in talking about with you. Donovan Peoples-Jones, to me, is is such an interesting guy in this conversation around, is he the number two target? Is he the true number two receiver in this Browns offense? Can David Bell be the true number three that they've really needed since, since Jarvis Landry has left this season? So I'm wondering, especially with Donovan Peoples-Jones, where you sit on his ability to be the number two receiver in this offense, or is this a guy that you think is going to start the year there and they're just going to kind of perpetually be looking to replace place him with a true number two it's a difficult spot in Amari Cooper it was a fifth round pick the Browns they didn't care about the salary they just converted most of it into a signing bonus anyway so they got a player for them salary cap wise that was very cheap with Donovan Peoples-Jones the issue is is what you expect from either a one or a two wide receiver is a guy that can you know excel in the entire route tree Donovan it's been the shorter routes that have been kind of a hiccup for him to this point this is probably what held him back at Michigan because he never had a quarterback in Michigan who really excelled in the vertical game anyway. Um, so you think with Deshaun Watson, it can get the best out of Donovan Peoples-Jones. I don't think we're ever going to talk about a guy that's going to probably push 75, 80 receptions as a wide receiver too. He's more of a guy on a good day. You're going to talk about maybe four for 75, you know, a couple of big shot plays with Donovan Peoples-Jones. You go back to that Hail Mary caught at the end of the first half against the Arizona Cardinals. You can see what he is. He's a bigger guy, deeper down the field. You know, the athleticism is there. It just doesn't translate in a shorter passing game. That's where you have a player like Anthony Schwartz, who they still have high hopes for. David Bell has been outstanding to this point. Um, the only thing that held David Bell back, obviously, was athleticism. Athletic testing was not very good during the process. But a lot of receivers who went before him, and you know, you want to talk about a player like Pickens from Georgia who went to the Pittsburgh Steelers. David Bell had more production in his final year in Purdue than Pickens had in his entire career at Georgia. David Bell, he can get open. He can make plays. Um, the question is going to be where does the athletic limitations affect him in the NFL? The Browns want to use him maybe as a big slot. Um, you know, take over the role from Jarvis Landry. Uh, David Bell is quicker than he is fast. His hands have been, all, you know, basically perfect. There's, they have repeat reporters going back and forth trying to even find a drop at any point this point through OTAs and rookie minicamp. Nobody's really come up with one. He's a hard worker. He's a disciplined, disciplined player. He's always going to do his assignment. So for Donovan Peoples-Jones, it's going to be key to get off early and establish what his role is 
Otherwise, the number two wide receiver could be, you know, basically package-wise. It could be opponent-wise, you know, week to week. I mean, if you're looking for a week where we might have to throw the ball more, maybe it's going to be a David Bell on the field a little bit more. If it's a week where we're going to run a little, a little bit more, Donovan's Peoples-Jones has been established as a blocker and has done pretty well on that avenue. That could be more his spot. But nobody's sleeping on David Bell here and his possibility for pushing for the number two spot. And, look, some of this not necessarily Donovan's fault. Um, Rookie year, he played a little bit more than people expected as a six-round pick. That wasn't really the plan. Then, of course, this year, um, Odell missed the early time. Donovan Peoples-Jones was the best-looking wide receiver in camp. It didn't translate right away. But then, as the weeks went on, you know, Jarvis was dinged up most of the season. The Odell situation played itself out and ultimately led from him being moved out of Cleveland. Um, And Donovan was, you know, being asked for more than maybe he was ready for. But it is year three. Um, You made a move for a player like Deshaun Watson, who you believe is going to elevate all of your wide receivers and their play. So Donovan Peoples-Jones, it's going to be a crucial year for him because there are contenders for snaps, four targets at that wide receiver two position. So it's going to be on him to make sure he can hold off the guys coming after him. If not, a guy like David Bell could easily come in and be a serviceable, you know, 70 reception, 700-yard guy, six, seven touchdowns per season, which I think the Browns would be more than okay with. Anthony Schwartz is the guy for me um, that I keep thinking about. I keep kind of deeply investing in some of my deeper dynasty leagues. I really liked him coming out of Auburn. Was a guy that really wanted the Bills to target late in that draft. The Browns end up, uh, you know, scooping him up before the Bills had the opportunity to. What do you suspect? Like he has all of the Will Fuller vibes to me, Jeff. Mm-hmm. That's the thing, and like so many people, oh, Will Fuller to the Browns has. You kind of already. I mean, and if anything, you have a combination of these guys here. That's kind of what the best of Donovan Peoples-Jones is. And Anthony Schwartz has the calling card of there's not many people in the NFL who run a sub-4-3. Last year with Anthony, there was a crucial stretch. Um, He took a severe concussion in the New England Patriot game, a game where the Browns literally, not only they lost the game, they physically got beat up that day in New England. Anthony Schwartz took a big hit on a kick return. Um, He was out for almost four weeks with the amount of time he missed. Had a positive game closing out the season, uh, closing out the year on Christmas Day in Green Bay. There's receiver qualities there. There's receivers receiving tendencies there. I think the Browns were trying to think more that he could be more of a gadget guy. That's possible. It certainly is. But until a guy gets comfortable doing what you ask receivers to do, running slants, you know, you know, running the all-day route from one side mm-hmm. of the field to the other, and having some sex with that. It's really difficult to just say, okay, well, you know, then you go to try to use more gadgety stuff. You have defenses concerned about what he can do vertically in the passing game. Once that happens, now it's, well, oh, no, here it comes, here it is. You know, here he is on a reverse. Oh, here it is on a fake reverse. You know, you ran a screen off of that. Until he has success playing natural receiver, it's kind of hard mm-hmm. to expect to get the special stuff out of him and you know, just the athletic things. He's got to have success first in the receiving aspect of the game before you start going to those type of things with a player like Anthony Schwartz. All the ability is there. All the speed is there. All the drive, all the want to is there with a guy like Anthony Schwartz. Um, and, again, another player that caught up. I mean, we can say this about every Browns wide receiver you know, from last year. The, the, the passing game wasn't good, so it's hard to put a knock on any one of these guys because when you looked at every single one of them, you realize there was an issue, and the problem was the quarterback play and the wide receiver play, whatever ones you tried to do, it just did not work. It just did not click. So we're talking about pass catchers. We might as well evolve into David Njoku. Uh, This is a franchise that invested heavily when Kevin Stefanski came in 
in in Austin Hooper, a guy that I think was was set to be a big part of this offense, just never evolved that role. And listen, I think he was from a an athletic perspective. He just was limited. He was not the quick twitch guy. He was a possession tight end, an inline guy that really wasn't a particularly good run blocker. So it was a weird fit from the beginning. And then you have Harrison Bryant. You've you've drafted guys. You've got Njoku, and now Njoku gets paid like a guy who is a perennial top five, top seven guy. But it feels like, Jeff, that he was paid based on what he's going to do and not what he has done over the course of his career. How do you expect his role to evolve this year now that he's very clearly this team's number one tight end? Well, it's actually kind of interesting because when this Browns organization, the way it is currently constructed from front office of the coaching staff, they went out, they made the heavy investment in Austin Hooper. And year one was certainly better than year two. Um, but even as year one went on, you, know, you saw when you were calling plays for David Njoku that you were calling for Austin Hooper, they were having more success. And then we got into 2021, and now it was, well, wait a minute, are we sure Austin Hooper is even a better run blocker than David Njoku? Because everything we're seeing is suggesting that he's not. A lot of drops, um, you know, a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of turf monsters making tackles as Austin Hooper caught the ball, fell flat on his face, then got up and, you know, lost yardage after the catch a lot of times. And I think what the Browns saw was is what we envisioned for this guy to be, he's here. Granted, the Browns didn't know him in 2019. He was coming off, you know, a lot of missed time injury-wise. But I think they saw that the player they thought they were getting in Austin Hooper was the player, hopefully, that David Njoku is graduating into, gravitating into. They've used him a ton in OTAs. It looks like he is going to be a big part of the red zone game, which he has been for the Browns in his time in Cleveland. I think what it was is they saw here was a player that was on the way up as opposed to a play like Austin Hooper, who either plateaued or was on the way down. He's younger. He's more athletic. Um, his one game last year against the Charger doubled any of Austin Hooper's best games in his time in Cleveland. And for the, I know a lot of people maybe a little thrown off by the money, but the Browns are different in the fact that David Njoku is not going to come off the field. The Browns pretty much play a tight end on the field every single play. So it's not like he's ever going to come off. The only time he's going to come off is necessarily when he needs a blow. Harrison Bryant is there because they like to play two tight ends. I think they're going to go with some sort of veteran heavy blocking tight end here before this team gets to camp. So when they do go two tight end set and it's going to be an obvious run, you know, they'll keep Harrison Bryant off the field. They'll bring in the veteran who's a much better blocker than Harrison Bryant at this point. But the tight end position, it's not changed their affinity for the tight end position. Look, it happens. You go out, you sign guys, you think you're going to get the best out of them. Not every signing works. But a blessing in the disguise for the Browns was is they didn't have to go scouring the market for a guy, a player within their building that they weren't sure of, stepped up to probably be this guy that they ultimately envisioned Austin Hooper could be for them. Last thing I have for you, Jeff, on the, on the offensive side of the ball is is how this year ends up looking in terms of scheme. Because with Deshaun Watson, it's very clear, at least from some of the video I've seen from from minicamp, that there is going to be more of a, a push to play that pistol, play the shotgun, and, and have him navigate from shotgun. And how that looks for the run game, because I'm not sure – that we've necessarily seen Nick Chubb play in a lot of those roles. I think it's maybe it's probably a perfect fit for Kareem Hunt, but I'm wondering what the change to a lot of shotgun-based run looks is going to look like for Nick Chubb. I'm not necessarily sure how this is going to work with Nick Chubb 
This could be more of second and long situations, third down situations. You have a player like Hunt. You have a player like Demetri Felton, if he's able to fight off the battle here this summer, who are players who have great experience in the receiving game, great experience in the running game. Jerome Ford played with a quarterback at Cincinnati who was good as a runner as well. So, but it is still Nick Chubb. So you may show the look and, you know, you may have a tight end creep inside and give you what a traditional fullback look would have. It's just another avenue. It's something different. And the Browns with the goal, if it's going to be Sean Watson, you now have a quarterback who's got the ability to change the game a little bit with his legs. It's just another avenue. And I think a lot of this is going to be red zone. And I think it's going to be because they struggled in the red zone to score touchdowns. This was a team that would get inside the five and would be first and goal from the three. And here we are two plays later, and it's third and goal from the seven. They weren't able to have enough of a broad scope of play calling within the red zone that didn't really ever put the defensive position where they're threatened. Now you can use a little bit more of a David Njoku, Amari Cooper, one of the better route runners in the league. And you have a quarterback who can say, all right, my first read is not there. My second read is not there. All right, I'm going to get out of the pocket, see what can happen. Now I can challenge my legs. I can challenge with my arm. And hopefully opportunity for the Browns where it's going to be a lot more touchdowns than it was short field goals. They love the addition of Cade York. But a lot of that was, you know, basically for, you know, basically for him to go behind the three-point arc, look, with 40 yards, you know, 45, play within the 50-yard field goal range. The Browns need to get better within the red zone. They need to score more touchdowns. And I think this is a focus of more athleticism at the quarterback position, showing a look that they haven't showed to this point. And, again, it's year three. Coach Stefanski, you can't just look at your playbook and say, all right, everything we got, we need. You have to be willing to adapt, have to be willing to open things up, and you go out and get a quarterback who's more athletic, similar to Josh Allen, similar to Patrick Mahomes, guys who can do things with their legs, and it just gives another avenue to threaten defenses. Jeff, thanks so much, man, for being available for me on your Saturday afternoon. Tell the folks where they can find your work. Uh, the Locked On Browns podcast. We have actually brought in a co-host, Garrett Bush. He's part of the Ultimate Cleveland Sports Show. The show is now available on YouTube five days a week, uh, still available in your traditional podcast form. Me personally, at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. And, of course, the show at Locked On Browns. Anything you need, you guys know where to get us. Thanks, brother. Appreciate you as always. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the, uh, the next couple of weeks as we, uh, as we head into the dog days of summer. Have a great day, Nate. Thanks for having me. Thanks, brother. Appreciate you. Jeff Lloyd there of the Locked On Browns podcast on the Western Hotline. I'm going to take a timeout. Jeremy Kahn, 105.7 The Fan in Baltimore, was on yesterday with Sal Capaccio and the Extra Point Show. So we're going to play that back for you. Coming up next here on WGR. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. All right, welcome back to Sports Talk Saturday here on WGR. We're going to replay for you Jeremy Kahn, who uh, is the morning show host at 105.7 The Fan in Baltimore. He was on with Sal Capaccio yesterday on the Extra Point Show, so we'll play that here for you. All right, rolling along here in our final hour of the week. It is a Friday. Hope you got something cool planned this weekend. I got more baseball. I got baseball every weekend with my son. Baseball's a lot, man, during the summer. And he plays lacrosse, too. We got lacrosse going on, but lots of baseball, of course, going on. Hope you have a uh, 
Good weekend plan. Should be pretty good weather. It could be a little bit cooler than it has been, but should be some nice weather to get out there and do whatever you want to do. Sal Capaccio here on WJR Sports Radio 550, the Extra Point Show. Joe's going to be back next week to join me. He's had a nice vacation. He's been playing some golf. And um, we'll start talking a lot more about Bill's storylines leading up to training camp. The Bills will play the Baltimore Ravens this season, one of their early games. And the Ravens have some questions. Lamar Jackson, his contract situation, injuries that they're getting guys back from. So they're a team that I think is super interesting. And joining me right now on the West Her Hotline is our friend Jeremy Kahn from our Odyssey sister station in Baltimore, 105.7 The Fan. What is going on, brother? Good to talk to you again. What's up, Sal? Long time no talk, man. Hope all is well. All is well here. I want to get your thoughts on our, our big topic of the day that I've been throwing around. Dynasties, brother. Like, what, what constitutes a dynasty? Like, was Golden State already one for you before last night? Um, and even the, the, the Lightning, if they win a third straight cup, is that a dynasty for you? Yeah, I think any three-peat or any time a team goes to multiple championships in a short period of time, I'm not saying over like 20 years you hit three, but, you know, over a a five-year span, you go to three. If you win three in a row, I, I think it constitutes it. So I thought the Warriors were a dynasty before this. Uh, people keep going back to the, hey, they went from worst to first, but that was a totally different reason that they went to worst because, let's be honest, they had injuries to all their superstars. So, And at that point, they started tanking. But that being said, yeah, they're, it's, it's just an amazing group. And I've said this time after time, I hate dynasties unless my team is the dynasty. So, <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> I, I, like, I like a little more parity. I agree with you on that. And I think we get, we get that for the most part in the NFL. Of course, you know, the Patriots did what they did for a long time. But now the Bills are the team, I think, you know, the teams are obviously chasing in the AFC East. AFC North is a little bit different. I don't know what to expect from this division, man. This is going to be super interesting this year. There's so many changes, and there are some questions. Let's talk about the team that you talk about, the Baltimore Ravens. What's going on? What's the latest with the Lamar Jackson contract situation, and how do you think this thing ultimately plays out? I mean, ultimately, I think they get him signed, and I think he gets one of uh, the three things, either the largest overall money, the largest guaranteed money, or signing bonus money, however you want to put it, or the largest per year, and and then Kyler Murray will break whatever Lamar gets, and that's kind of been the ongoing thing. I think Pat Mahomes has kind of been the one anomaly in there where um, I think he's looked at a little bit differently for the money he got and the success that they've had. Uh, The rest of the guys, you know, you guys with Josh Allen getting a taste of it last year a little bit, Joe Burrow in Cincinnati, and, and of course Lamar Jackson in Baltimore, and a handful of other teams are still trying to get into that mix and be a perennial contender in the AFC, but I think a lot of those teams are still in the mix. But with, with Lamar's comments yesterday, people were worried about him missing OTAs initially. Um, we've been talking about the contract. The owner, Steve Bashotti, had a really weird statement where he said Lamar doesn't want a, a contract until he feels like he's earned it, and I just thought that was kind of counterproductive from his position and Lamar kind of denied that that was necessarily true. So maybe it was misconstrued a bit, but he said he wants to stay in Baltimore forever, but he also made some weird comments about like, will it affect you in week one? Will you miss training camp? He kept using the word conversations. He said, we're still having conversations. So ultimately I think they get a deal done. um, But the AFC North is going to be real interesting this season. Yeah, it is. And the Ravens are kind of a, a, I guess attacking it a little bit differently than I think a lot of teams. Uh, the the deal to get rid of Marquise Brown, wide receivers, they're loading up on tight ends again. What does this offense look like? Like, who, where do the targets go to? How how does this get spread around? Yeah, I think it's just I, I don't know that Mark Andrews can take in on any more targets. Right, than he did as he led the league last year uh, at that position, um, and then they they fully expect Rashad Bateman to take a huge step forward, but. You know, Devin Duvernay's been here a while, James Prochet. Prochet's the guy that they always talk about at practice, being the hardest worker, 
hanging out afterwards, catching, you know, uh, balls off the jugs machine. And um, I, I think that those guys will fill in, but ultimately I think they go back to a lot of 12 and 13 personnel with, you know, double tights or even three tight ends on the field, which allows them uh, to kind of still have their running game intact and do all that they want to do on the ground. Meanwhile, getting, um, you know, maybe some uh, mismatches on the field as far as those tight ends go, sneaking them out on little routes. And they've got – they drafted two this year. They've got Nick Boyle coming back, who is one of the best blocking tight ends in the league. Um, so I think that's ultimately what they're going to do is go back to that bread and butter that the year that Lamar won the MVP. But, you know, Hollywood's a loss. I mean, that's, yeah. that's a lot of catches and over 1,000 yards. Um, I still like what they did because you traded a guy for a first-round pick that whose contract was coming up, and you didn't know whether or not you could even pay him. So I, I thought it made sense what they did. The big question is, what's the trickle-down effect on offense this year? Yeah, no doubt about it. And one of the things that we talk a lot about here in Buffalo is how much Josh Allen runs. And, of course, we know the most dynamic running quarterback in the league is right there in Baltimore, and that's Lamar Jackson. Do you guys have that debate, like how much they want him to do that, how much he should do that, or is it just, look, that's what you have to do with him? I think there's – I mean, it's a combination because – they, they have their scripted running plays, and they run quite a bit of read option. I think they got a little bit away from it last year just because, I mean, you lost your entire running back room. You lost your left tackle. You lost your cornerbacks. I mean, what happened here, I had never seen before with just the rooms that went down. I mean, they lost entire rooms of players, and then there were guys that were playing for them. We're going, who's this? Like, who, where did this guy come from? And you're looking him up and saying, I, I don't remember them picking up this cornerback. And there were – there were all kinds of like issues last year. And even with all that being said, you know, before Lamar got hurt, they had the best record in the, well, they had the best record in football and they were the number one seed in the AFC. And then they lost every game after that. So um, yeah, I, I, we, we talk about it quite a bit with how much Lamar has to run. Uh, I do think getting some running backs back is going to help him because last year was evident that with no burners in the backfield, nobody that could hit a home run for you. Anytime they ran the read option, guys were just taking a free shot at Lamar. So We'll see how much they get back into it this season. And what is the you know forecast for Ronnie Stanley, Gus Edwards, J.K. Dobbins, the guys that you're referring to that were lost last year? Yeah, I know for a fact that the running backs are going to start on the pup list, but they look like they're they're ready to go. Um, the one guy that I haven't seen is uh, on the opposite side of the ball at, at cornerback that we don't know what's going to happen with Marcus. And you know, the, you look at. Like Marlon Humphrey is going to be fine. Marcus Peters is the one guy that yep. I want to see him out there. But all indication, these guys will be ready uh, by by the opening of the season. But I wouldn't be shocked if you see these guys playing zero or on a completely limited basis in preseason. We, we know John Harbaugh likes to – he's the Super Bowl champion of the preseason. They go 4-0 and or 5-0 and every single year. He loves winning games when they don't matter. Um, so we'll see if that comes to fruition. But my, my hunch is with everything that went wrong, those guys get handled with kid gloves moving forward. But if, they should be ready. If I'm in a fantasy football league, which running back do I want from the Ravens? Dobbins. I think Dobbins is so explosive. He catches the ball out of the backfield. So PPR league, that's the guy you want to go yeah. to. I, I was all on him. I was all in last year. And and luckily for me, I only ended up drafting him in one draft that happened before he got hurt. Oh, he did real yeah. early. But, uh, but, yeah, I think he's – I think this kid's special and has a chance to be – you know, uh, like a lot of the other uh, big-time guys we're talking about in the league, I, I think there's, you know, when you start looking at, like, the receptions a guy like a Dalvin Cook can get or, um, you know, even if you're looking at an Austin Eckler, I think there's a lot of that in him and a guy that can break it in any given moment. So uh, as long as that cutting's back and he trusts that knee, I think he's in good shape. More from 105.7 The Fans, Jeremy Kahn. On the other side, you're listening to Sports Talk Saturday here on WGR.
All right, we've got uh, the remainder of the Jeremy Kahn interview. He is the morning show host at 105.7 The Fan in Baltimore. He was on with Sal Capaccio yesterday on the Extra Point Show. Jeremy Kahn on the Western Hotline joining us from Baltimore. Greg Roman, we had him here in Buffalo. He goes to the Ravens 2017. He gets elevated to offensive coordinator. He's, this is his fourth year now as the offensive coordinator, I believe. What's the read on him from the Baltimore fan base? Oh, they hate him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, he's a great running game coordinator. You know, the I, I think he, you tip your cap to him for all that he's done in the running game here. But it almost yeah. looks like San Francisco, Buffalo, you kind of see it when he plateaus because – You've had everybody from Kurt Warner to Steve Smith to former receivers talk about this offense, and it's not Lamar. Guys love playing with Lamar. They talk so highly of him. They just don't like playing in this offense where you're going to see limited opportunities. And let's be honest, the stuff that Kurt Warner was pointing out with receivers running routes in the same exact area, it's not, that's not productive. And it does – you know, Steve Smith said his five-year-old could draw up better uh, offensive plays than Greg Roman. I don't know that I'm going to go that far, but – I mean, let's be honest, it's just got to get better in that in, in that grouping. And with the run game that you have, as dominant as your run game is, you should you should find mismatches in the passing game all the time because you, teams are going to gear up to stop that every chance they get. They want to keep Lamar in the pocket. So you should have opportunities in the passing game, and it doesn't look like that's been the case. You know, the Ravens have a really interesting schedule. They start with all four AFC East teams, right? They get the Jets, the Dolphins, the Patriots, the Bills. They play a lot of their division games later in the season, and that's where this uh, this is going to be won here in the AFC North. How do you how do you kind of handicap the rest of the teams, especially based on what they've done so far, quarterback situation in Pittsburgh, of course in Cleveland, and then, you know, Joe Burrow and the Bengals getting to the AFC, uh, to the Super Bowl last year and winning the conference? Yeah, so I'll start with Cincinnati because, um, you know, I'm, I think they're going to be good, don't get me wrong, and, and they know what their improvements need to be. They need to get better on the offensive line, keep Joe Burrow upright, need to get better on defense. Uh, I think people love their skill position players. So, in essence, they should be better. But I'll say this, and, and you know it doesn't typically happen back-to-back years. They stayed unbelievably healthy last season. Yeah. They still went 10-7 and seven with all that being said. And I think you can make a case that they made their own luck, but all those games broke right for them. Oakland had a – or Oakland, listen to me. Vegas had a chance to beat them. Tennessee had the ball and threw an interception when they should have been driving down the field with a chance to kick a field goal to win it. I think we all thought Kansas City was going to handle them, and then they came back in the second half. So, yeah, I think there was a little bit of luck there, but ultimately they're a they're a good team. I didn't think they were a great team. Um, I just don't know that they stay healthy. Uh, on the flip side, when you talk about Cleveland, that's the one team is I don't know how you handicap them because we don't know what's going to happen with Watson. Will he get suspended? Will it be a full season? Right. Will it be six, eight games? I mean, that's all – you know, and then then you have the fallout of is Baker going to be a professional and come in and play? Does he pout? You know, that, I, I think that's still relatively unknown. And I'm not one to write off the Steelers, but they've got to figure out their quarterback situation. I talked to a buddy of mine that uh, works for one of our sister stations in Pittsburgh, um, and he was talking about, you know, that, that it sounds like Trubisky's going to be the guy to start and then maybe Pickett takes over. But if you don't know who your quarterback is, it's hard for me to kind of pencil them in anywhere outside of last place in this division. Um, with the Ravens, you know, I'm not I'm far from a homer, but I, I just think with the way that this team's assembled and uh, even the draft that they just had, they're going to be better defensively. Um, I, I can't tell you they're going to be better on offense, but I think they will because I think the running game comes back to where it was two and three years ago. So I'm looking forward to that. But uh, the other thing that factors in as well, when you look at the Ravens is, um, you know, their experience within playing these teams like I, I they're, they're going to play a last place schedule where Cincinnati is going to play a first place mm-hmm. one. And to me, I, ultimately, I think that might end up deciding the division. 
Really interesting. I, I think it's a very, very interesting thing interesting team that should not be you know discounted from this uh, loaded I guess you'd say American football conference uh Jeremy let me shift gears a little bit let me ask you about the Baltimore Orioles and what's going on with the ballpark there and the statement that was made last week like where is all this coming from and and, and where does it stand right now with the renovations and all that well so they're they're still uh you know they, they have a weird deal with the Maryland Stadium Authority so um they they actually have one more year left on their lease but they would have to opt out uh for the talk about them moving, I, I can't see this team moving. I know what we saw with the Colts years and years and years ago when I was a little kid. Uh, can't possibly see it happening. There's some infighting going on between the Angelos brothers. Um, uh, John Angelos, who's kind of been in charge of things, released a statement. Um, the mom, Georgia, released a statement talking about it. They're, they're adding all kinds of stuff into the stadium, revamping it. They moved the left field wall back. Uh, gambling's supposed to be legal, fully legal this summer, so there's supposed to be a kiosk and other things being put in, not only at M&T Bank, um, but also, um, you know, over at Camden Yards. But uh, all the infighting that's going on, it seems like there's some jostling for position and who should be in charge and some frustration behind the scenes. Uh, there was an article written today in the Baltimore Sun saying that Major League Baseball would like Cal Ripken to get involved if the team is going to be sold and be a minority owner with some other businessmen to potentially buy the team. But I think we're so far away from that. They're going to have to handle this infighting. But the weird thing is the Orioles are finally getting to where fans want them to be because we're going through this rebuild, much like the Astros did, and they're starting to see their prospects slowly come up to the major leagues, and it's an exciting time for that. But now it leaves us to wonder if, if there's infighting going on with the people in charge. Are they going to go spend money in the offseason? Are they going to do what they have to do to get better? Uh, so it does seem a little problematic. Yeah, no doubt about it. And speaking of stadiums, you know, we're getting a new one here. It's not signed, sealed, delivered yet, but it's pretty much on track. And, you know, the Bills will have what's one of the older stadiums in the NFL. You know, I, I'm looking up right now, M&T Stadium, what, 24 years old, maybe around there, right? At some point, yeah. at some point, you know, you start talking about these things. What is the buzz around that? Do they talk about renovating, where that shelf life is, all those things? Oh, they keep making additions and rebuilding that stadium with, like, M&T Bank. If you haven't been down to Baltimore for anybody in Buffalo, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it is a great stadium. I, I'd still say, you know, Camden Yards to me is the best baseball stadium yeah. in the majors. And there's so many stadiums that are modeled after it um, that it would be a damn shame if this team left and left that stadium there. But as far as M&T Bank and what the Ravens are doing, I mean, they, they every offseason they revamp a ton of stuff, whether it's the scoreboard, um, you know, as I talked about, some of the gambling kiosk and all those things will be put in and uh, you'll have a sports book and all these things built in down there. So. Yeah, they keep adding to it and renovating. Um, I don't know that there would be any stadium, you know, new stadium coming up for the Ravens or the Orioles anytime soon. What I remember is one year going down there, I've been, in, I've been the Bill Sideline reporter on the radio network. This will be my ninth year. And one year I go down there and it's turf. Then a couple years later it's grass. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wait a minute, what yeah. happened here? And I was told that there were some injuries that year too. Maybe that, that year they changed over and Steve Biscotti went to people in the organization. And one of the things that they felt was maybe the turf contributed. So they literally changed from turf to grass that year. Absolutely. And you know what happens with this, too. It's like when you have a, a rash of injuries, you're trying to find out reasons yeah. why we went through. Is it the strength and conditioning coordinator? Is it where they're playing? And the weird thing about the Ravens injuries is that they happened all over the place yeah. on the road in preseason, uh, at home, uh, some guys off the field, you know, in game. Like there, there were all kinds of things that happened throughout the season, um, even before the season that, that guys were going down. So they, they were trying to figure out what it was. But, yeah, you're right. Years ago. They had a rash of injuries, and they're like, you know what, forget this turf. We're going back to grass. And then it even stemmed back even further when Billick was here with the Ravens, and they had a preseason game against Philly, and they were upset at the turf up there. So they've tried to remodel and change everything up to fit what they need. Um, 
but this has happened a couple times with a ton of injuries, and it's like the finger-pointing starts. It's got to be because of this. So they're ultimately trying to change up everything to make it better so we don't see these injuries. That was Jeremy Kahn. I'm Nate Geary. That's Zach Jones. Big thanks to my guests today, and we'll start with Brian Koziel, who helped me walk through some of the U.S. Open stuff today, Matt Perino, New York Upstate, talking to Bill's OTAs, Eric Eager of PFF, and Jeff Lloyd of Locked on Browns. Uh, that'll do it for us here this week on Sports Talk Saturday. Monday morning, uh, we'll have, ooh, Bandits game tonight. So make sure it'll be here live on WGR. The Bandits in an elimination game. Winner literally takes all in the NLL championship game. Game three tonight. Uh, so you won't want to miss it against Colorado. For me, Nate Geary, for Zach Jones, we appreciate you listening, of course, as always, here on WGR. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.